Good morning. Good to see everybody today. As that video uh, sets up for us, today is, is Palm Sunday, a day that we uh, look forward to and anticipate Easter and, and the celebration of, of the resurrection of Jesus. And Palm Sunday is, is just another in a long series of, of reminders in Jesus' ministry that, that the people, by and large, that, that Jesus was around had very different expectations of who Jesus was in their minds, was supposed to be, uh, who he was coming to be. I'm just reminded as I'm saying this, I forgot to mention about children's church. So they're leaving. So if you've got kids going to children's church, they're going that way. Um, but people had different expectations of a Savior. And, and, and because of this, it blinded them from seeing Jesus for who he truly was in many cases. And, and so as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, uh, the, the people who have an image in mind of a Savior who would come as sort of a militant, military-type leader uh, can't see Jesus for who he is because they're blinded because of the image they have in their head, because of the way that they think that a Messiah, that a Savior should look. Uh, but Jesus rides in not on a, a white war horse of victory. He rides in on a, on a donkey. Uh, He is riding toward a cross, not a throne. And everything about Jesus looks different than the image that many people of their day would have of a Savior, of a Messiah. And so for us today, as we look forward to Easter, as we anticipate uh, the resurrection of, of Jesus and celebrating that next Sunday, I want us to consider this morning... Uh, What image do we have of Jesus? What is our vision of God? Uh, And what does that look like in our lives? And and may that perhaps put up blinders or give us some blind spots into the Jesus that we see in Scripture if we have a different picture in mind. How does our vision of God, our image of Jesus, impact our life, our faith, uh, and the ways that we live? And so we're going to think about that this morning as we think about loving God with all of our minds. We're going to pick up that series again. We kind of took a break last week, but we're picking it back up today uh, as we continue to think about this, what Jesus calls the first command. Um, And today we're going to talk about loving God with all of our minds. Uh, So before we get into that, though, I do want to mention, uh, as I said, next week is Easter, and we've got several different activities going on for Easter Sunday. Uh, We'll have an Easter breakfast at 9.15 that morning, and so come early, join us for breakfast and and time to to fellowship and spend some time together. Uh, Then we'll have our our worship service as we celebrate the resurrection together. Uh, And then after that, uh, we'll have our egg hunt for for our little ones. Uh, So there'll be no classes next Sunday, uh, but plenty of opportunities to be together and to, to have some fun together. So if you haven't, uh, haven't had an opportunity to, to bring eggs or to, to bring candy for eggs, there's some uh, sheets that have some information about that out there. There are even eggs in the fellowship hall, plastic eggs that you can get and fill up with candy if you want to do that. I believe there's still some over there. Is that right? Pam says there's two left. So you can rush over there after church and, uh, and pick them up if you don't want to have to buy eggs. Um, so that'll be next Sunday. We also have uh, Saturday after that, the 27th, we're going to spend uh, a day at the lake together. We've got a group pavilion uh, reserved uh, at Stillhouse Hollow Park. Is that what it's called? Uh, and so we'll be out there together on the 27th. Zeke told me this morning uh, that that's the weekend that Avengers Endgame comes out. So I didn't, I didn't realize that. I'm, that tells you how much of an Avengers fan I am. Um, 
I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but this is a short window of time. So you can go Friday night or Saturday night. You, as I told Zeke, you probably already have your tickets, though, if you're planning to go that weekend. So uh, come out and join us for that. That's going to be a day we're just going to spend some time together at the lake, swim, uh, do some water games. If you've got toys, games, whatever else you want to bring out there, uh, come join us for, for a day of fun at the lake. So lots of stuff coming up, things like that. We've also started a new Wednesday night series where we're having some, some great conversations about things on Wednesday night. There's information on that in the bulletin and emails as well. And so plenty of opportunities to, to engage and to to enjoy time together. Uh, This morning, though, as I said, we're going to talk about loving God with all of your mind. Uh, And there are several different directions that that we could go with this. Uh, But this morning, I want us to to focus on, again, as I said, the the ways that we think. Because the ways that we think impact everything about our lives. Uh, We can see this in, in broad ways, and we can see it in very specific ways. For instance, when I was a kid, uh, I was convinced that the fast food restaurant chain Whataburger was pronounced Water Burger, W-A-T-E-R Burger. And I thought, is anybody else with me on this? Did it? Okay, good. <laughs> I've always wondered if I was weird in that. I, I thought it was Water Burger, and probably because of the way our, us Texans us Texans say it, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's, it comes out water, water burger, and uh, and so our family never went to Water Burger when I was a kid, and so if you combine that with my pronunciation of it as Water Burger, I just had this gross image in my head of what a Water Burger was. Like I just pictured this soggy mess of a burger as a kid, and I remember thinking when people told me that they would go there, like, why? How is this place even still open (laughs) selling soggy burgers to people? And so something had to shift in the way that I thought about Whataburger in order for me to even find it appetizing to go in there because of this imagery, this, this thought I had of what Whataburger was. Uh, That was a sort of irrational thought that I kind of grew out of. Now, uh, Whataburger is really the only fast food burger that I eat. Um, conversely, I also had a, an imagery of Jack in the Box in my head that was based a little more on rational thought. Because you may remember, uh, I was born kind of right in the middle of, of two fairly big PR disasters for Jack in the Box. Uh, in the early 80s, Jack in the Box had some issues with uh, meat that was not beef. It was actually uh, mislabeled horse meat that, that they got, uh, that they actually, I found out this, this week, that some of it was actually also kangaroo meat, kangaroo meat that they had gotten from Australia. Uh, it was found out they were selling th- this meat in, in some of their burgers. So that was a PR disaster. Then in the early 90s, they had an E. coli breakout in Washington. And so I don't remember if, if it was one of those issues that I remember from my childhood, or kind of both of them combined, but I just remember this imagery in my head of Jack in Box uh, that if you ate at Jack in the Box, you were going to get sick. Like that's that's just my earliest memory of Jack in the Box. And again, we never went there. And so the way that I thought about Jack in the Box for a long time was, if you eat there, you'll get sick. Um, and apparently, you may be eating horse meat. So, which maybe we could say that about any number of places, but that's a d- conversation for another day. <laughs> Because that was the image that I had in my head. And it took things, it took ways of thinking for me to break out of that. You may remember Jack in the Box went on a huge, huge ad campaign then in the mid-90s to try to break out of this kind of stigma that existed about them that if you eat at our restaurant, you may get sick or you may not know what you are eating. 
Now, on the other side, I was born in Abilene, Texas. Uh, Abilene is the birthplace of the great wonder of the world known as Taco Bueno. Um, Taco Bueno is the imagery that I have in my, it was my earliest introduction to Mexican food. It was certainly my earliest introduction to fast food Mexican food. Uh, Now, my parents are big Mexican food fans. I'm sure they did a better job of introducing me to Mexican food than Taco Bueno, but Taco Bueno was what I remember. (laughs) Mexi dips and chips were a huge staple of my childhood. Uh, And so when I was a youth minister uh, in Huntsville, Texas, we didn't have any Taco Buenos around. And so we went on a trip to, I don't even remember where we went, but it, there was a Taco Bueno in the town that we went to. And so I thought I was going to do my, my students a great service and introduce them to Taco Bueno. And so we all went into Taco Bueno. I'm feeling very proud uh, of introducing them to Taco Bueno because the Abilene connection there, I don't know if I said this, Taco Bueno actually originated in Abilene. I lived right down the street from the original Taco Bueno. So this is like a staple uh, of my youth and something we felt proud of being the birthplace of Taco Bueno. And so I'm going to introduce my teens now to Taco Bueno, and they all hated it. They're like, this is... We want our Taco Bell back because they only knew Taco Bell. They were anticipating the imagery they had in their head of fake Mexican food was Taco Bell. (laughs) Like, that's what it looks like. And I was like, you can't hate Taco Bueno. It's not like we're at Jack in the Box. It's not going to make you sick. It's Taco Bueno. Like, I don't, but they were like, you can never bring us to Taco Bueno again. They were adamant about us, about this. The ways that we think about things matters. It impacts the ways that we feel about Those specific things, it impacts the way we feel about whatever it is that we're thinking about, and our feelings then impact the ways in which we live. And so, this morning, I want us to consider that the ways that we think about God matters. The image that we have in our head of God matters. It matters because the way that I think about God, the imagery that I have of God impacts the ways that I feel about God, which impacts the ways that I act. Uh, And so as we think about this, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis 3. Uh, We're going to pick up at the beginning of Genesis 3. We're actually going to to talk about this, uh, some of Genesis 3 this week and next week. Next week as we think about the resurrection uh, accompanied with loving God with all of our soul. We'll pick back up with this story again next week. But for this morning... Uh, We're going to read Genesis 3, 1 through 7. This is going to be on the screen as well, actually. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. This is um, after creation. And so we pick up now, again, in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As the serpent is trying to drive a wedge between Eve and God, as the serpent is trying to get Eve to disobey God, listen to the ways that he goes about doing it. Uh, He never makes an appeal to the fruit. He doesn't have to. He doesn't ever say, look at that fruit over there. Doesn't it look good? What he says is, "Did, did God really tell you this? Well, no, he said this. And then he says, yeah, but he told you that because he doesn't want you to be like him. And so the way that the serpent, the way that Satan gets to us is to, is to convince us that God's motives are somehow not pure. The way that he gets Eve to question God is to say, maybe God's motivations aren't actually what he's telling you they are. And so the way that he gets to Eve is to say, this picture that you have of God in your head is actually not accurate. Really, God's just trying to keep something from you. Really, he's trying to keep something for himself, and he doesn't want you to be like him. And so he told you, you can't eat from that. And so now in Eve's head, something that was designed to protect her is now seen as something that is restricting her. Uh, Something that was really designed to give her freedom is now seen as something that keeps her restrained uh, or somehow less than. And so now that her image of God has been shifted, now that her perspective as God has been shifted in what the serpent tells her, now she on her own looks to the fruit and says, you know what? That stuff looks pretty good. It's appealing. Looks like it'd be good to eat. And I could gain wisdom by eating it. Uh, The serpent never has to make an appeal to the fruit because he knows that if he can get Eve to see God differently, the rest will take care of itself. All he has to do is shift her perspective on God and get her to question God's motivations, question what God has said, question, does God really know what's best? Or do I have another way of going about this? Uh, I think that we do similar things in our lives. We convince ourselves that, you know, I know that, that God has said this, or, or I know this is true, but, but man, this path over here looks desirable. Uh, maybe I could pursue this path instead. I think that this thing would actually bring me fulfillment. I think that this thing would actually bring me joy. I think this thing would actually bring wisdom or would be, would be good for me. And what we find every time is that when we chase those things, we end up feeling empty because God is the source of those things, not other things that we chase. And I think all of those are ultimately tied to some type of misconception that we have of God and that if we truly had in our minds that God loves us, God cares for us, he wants what's best for us, and he, his plan is the right way to live and the best way to live, that a lot of those things would take care of themselves. But Satan and the world convince us that maybe we know better and we could pursue this path instead. Uh, What this leads to with Adam and Eve is it leads to this intimate connection that they have with God, this loving relationship um, and this, this intimacy that is experienced between them and God in the garden is broken, and this love that they feel toward God is now replaced with fear. 
Um, and we're gonna, the part that we'll get into next week is they begin to cover themselves up. And when God asks why, Adam says, because I was afraid. Uh, there was never any fear between Adam and Eve and God. But now that they have chosen to go down a different path, now there's fear. Now fear has entered the equation as a result of sin. And I think what we find in, in Adam and Eve's story uh, is that after the fall, after this happens, our, our thinking, our ways of thinking as people have forever been altered uh, under a state of sin. And so Paul talks about this at the beginning of Romans when he's talking about people who have been given over to godlessness. Uh, he says their thinking became futile and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is exactly what Adam and Eve do. They've got this, this perfect image of God in mind. They've got this way of knowing and relating to God, and they exchange that for a lie, and as a result, are given over to sinful desire and sinful nature. Paul says, connects that to, what, to what's going on in, uh, in Rome at the time that he writes, about, writes to the Romans. And he says, because of this, God has given them over to their sinful desires, and it's all connected to the ways in which they're thinking. Because our thinking is paramount to who we are uh, and to the things that we go about doing. Uh, as, as Paul is talking to the church in Philippi in the verse that, that Carrie started us out with this morning, he, said, he begins that chapter by encouraging the Philippians to stand firm in the Lord. And then he says, so I want you to think about whatever is, is pure and noble and trustworthy and excel, excellent and lovely. And on and on and on he goes. And just think about that for a minute. What if all you did this week was trying to think about things that are lovely and pure and praiseworthy and noble? Uh, how would that affect the things that you took in in terms of, of media? How would that affect the conversations that you had with other people? Uh, how would that affect the ways that you went about your activities if you said, this week, I'm simply going to try to think about things that are good and pure and noble and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy? Uh, what would that do? And, and I know that, that you know, we, we, we at times have to come in contact with things that are tough and difficult and not praiseworthy. But I think it's also important to remember that, that Paul is writing that letter from prison He's writing that letter from a place that we would not consider excellent or lovely or noble or pure. And yet the whole book is about having this perspective on life that is rooted in a God of love and a Jesus of love that says, even from a prison cell, I can, can praise God, I can be thankful for what I have, and I can have a perspective that helps me to think about things that are pure, that are lovely, that are praiseworthy, and that are true. And so I think that one of the ways that we can love God well with our minds is to have an image of him that lines up with the nature and image of God that we see in Scripture. One of love, one of grace, one of mercy. Uh, and that the more and more we can, can get ourselves to inhabit um, and to, uh, to embody this image of God, uh, and the more and more we can cast out lies that are told to us by the world, by Satan, uh, about God, and, and get us to question God's motives, God's intent, God's character, the easier it becomes to love God and be devoted to God with all that we have. Uh, as I said, I think we could go many different directions with what it means to love God with all of our minds, and I think there are, there are all kinds of different aspects to it. 
But the thing that I want us to think about this morning is, what is the image of God that I have, and how does that impact my relationship to Him and the ways that I go about living? Uh, Repeatedly throughout Paul's writings, he connects the ways that we think to our transformation. Uh, Certainly, transformation is work of the Spirit first and foremost, but it is also highly connected to the ways that we think. We looked at one of these verses a couple of weeks ago, uh, where in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Uh, We talked about this a little bit in our class that Sunday, that the word contemplate there literally means reflect. And and it has the the, the connotation of looking into a mirror, of of contemplating uh, what you see in a mirror, of contemplating the the reflection that is there. And so there is this connection in this verse between contemplating God and reflecting God. That as I contemplate God, as, as I meditate on Him and who He is, as I spend time thinking about the God that we see revealed in Jesus Christ in Scripture, uh, that I begin to reflect His image into the world. The flip side of that uh, is that if I have an inaccurate image of God, if I have a picture of God that doesn't match up with a picture of God that I see in Christ in Scripture, I'm going to reflect that image of God to the world as well. Uh, Dr. Timothy Jennings wrote this book. He's a medical doctor. He wrote this book called The God-Shaped Brain. And he talks a lot about this in his book, um, and specifically even in connection with Adam and Eve, but talks about this idea of why the ways that we think about God matters. And so I want to read to you, this is a little bit of a lengthy quote or section, but I want to read to you what he says around this idea. He says, does it matter which God concept we hold to? Recent brain research by the University of Pennsylvania has documented that all forms of contemplative meditation were associated with positive brain changes, but the greatest improvements occurred when participants meditated specifically on a God of love. Such meditation was associated with growth in the prefrontal cortex and subsequent increased capacity for empathy, sympathy, compassion, and altruism. Now, he gets into the weeds of some medical language about the prefrontal frontal cortex in here that I won't get into, but if you're interested in it, he talks about it a lot. So, uh, but he does connect it to the fear that, that Adam and Eve experience in the garden, which is interesting. Uh, but we won't get that much into the weeds this morning. Uh, but he continues. Here's the most astonishing part. Not only does othered, other-centered love increase when we worship a God of love, but sharp thinking and memory improve as well. In other words, worshiping a God of love actually stimulates the brain to heal and grow. However, when we worship a God other than love, a being who is punitive, authoritarian, critical, or distant, fear circuits are activated and, if not calmed, will result in chronic inflammation and damage to both brain and body. Uh, How many of you know someone or are someone or have been someone who is constantly in fear of disappointing God? Uh, Constantly in fear of, if I don't check all the boxes right, then then I am somehow going going to be out of step with God. Uh, I've referenced somewhere before, I don't know if it was ever in a sermon, but I remember uh, as a college student, uh, as a youth intern, coming across a cartoon 
where it's this line of people in heaven, um, and there's cheers breaking out as it goes down the line, and it gets to the end. The guy's at the end. He's like, what's everybody cheering about? And the guy in front of him says, we just found out Wednesday nights don't count. (laughs) Like, and I think there's an underlying fear like that with a lot of us. Like, what if I miss something? Uh, what if I don't check all the right boxes? What if something happens uh, and, and I don't do something that, that counts? Um, and, and when your view of God flips to a God who desperately loves you and isn't up there keeping a checklist uh, so that you can get everything right so that he doesn't have to punish you, uh, to a God who loves you and desperately wants relationship with you, so much so that he would give up his son for you, then it flips the way that we see God, it flips the way that we see ourselves, it flips the way that we see others. Uh, And so then things like Wednesday nights become not something that I have to drudgingly go to so that I can check everything off, uh, but they become something uh, that, that, you know, we, we communicate about and we talk about because we think there's value in coming together as people who love each other and love God. It flips the way that we see church. It flips the way that we see worship. It flips the way that we see service to others. It flips the way uh, that we see our relationship to God. It flips all of that on its head and says, I'm doing this not because I'm afraid of a God who's going to send me to hell if I don't do everything right. But I see the image of, of love in God to such an extent in Scripture that I'm convinced that there's nothing better I can do with my life but to give myself over to him. Uh, Dr. Jennings continues by saying, As we bow before authoritarian gods, our characters are slowly changed to be less like Jesus. Um, That as we give ourselves over to other images of God, we are actually drawn away from the God that we see revealed in Jesus in Scripture. Uh, And again, Paul repeatedly says uh, this idea of transformation is completely tied to how we think. In Romans, he says we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we'll be able to test what God's will is. It starts with renewing the way I think. Uh, It starts with having an image of God uh, that matches what I see in Scripture. Uh, Transformation is largely uh, an exercise in mental modification before it is an exercise in behavioral modification. And if I'm only focused on behavior modifications, if I'm only focused on trying to avoid sins and trying to do everything the right way without uh, rectifying my view of God and, and making sure it aligns with that that I see in Scripture, I'm never going to fully be there uh, or fully love God with all of my mind. Because Satan knows that the quickest way to shift your perspective in your life is to get you to question God's motivation, his intent, or his character. And so there's the question then, well, well, how do I get to, to a different picture of God in my mind? What if, uh, if, if, if I have a different picture of mine, what reveals to us the nature and the character of God in Scripture? And I think the best imagery that we can point to is that of the cross. And that it is difficult to look at the cross of Calvary and see God as anything but love and to see his picture of, and nature as anything but that of love and grace and mercy. That it's hard, to look, it's hard to look at a God who gives up himself on Calvary and see him as authoritarian or overbearing or domineering. It's hard to look at the God who refuses to retaliate uh, when he is being killed and see him as vindictive or someone bent on retribution or punishment. 
Instead, when we look at Christ through the, through the lens of Calvary, when we look at Christ and the things that he valued and talked about and taught about in his ministry, we are overcome with the image of God as someone, as something of complete love and grace and mercy. Uh, John talks about this in his letter, uh, both when in, in the Gospel of John, he says, um, for God loved the world so much that he gave us his son, that famous verse. But in 1 John, I want us to close with this this morning. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves was born of God and knows God. Here we get into the idea of knowledge and the, the mind again. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. So again, how can we know that God is love and that this is the picture of him that we should have in our minds? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Uh, this imagery of God as love comes full circle when we in turn love other people. Um, and this love that flows out of us of loving other people and caring for other people, uh, this idea that Jesus gets into in the second command of love each other or love your neighbor as you love yourself, flows out of understanding this love that God has for each of us. Knowing in my mind that God is love and that the, the, the thing that he desires more than anything is for us to love him and have relationship with him in return. Continuing then in verse 16, skipping down just a little bit, he says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Uh, this morning, may we be people who are striving to be made more perfect in love by remembering and knowing God as love. Not letting lies that the world, that Satan tell us about God and questions about his motives and intent cloud our view and our imagery of God as love because the way that we think about things matters. The ways that we think about God matters. And when we see God as complete love, it will impact the way that we feel about him and the way that that extends itself to the world. Uh, I'm going to invite the, the band to come back on stage. And as we think about this God of love who gave himself for us on Calvary, we're going to sing another song of praise to him this morning. Uh, and then we're going to share in our communion meal together. And so as we sing uh, and as we, we share in communion together this morning, I want you to consider uh, what are the ways that I think of God? What's the imagery of God that, that I have in my head? And I'm, am I allowing an image of God as love to, to permeate my thoughts and to be seen in the ways that I live? Uh, so let's sing together, uh, and then we will share in remembering Christ and his love for us around communion.
communion this morning. So let's stand uh, and sing together. pray our prayer of confession together as we uh, prepare to share in communion. We confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. 
Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen.